Hey, happy Tuesday and welcome to the Coaching Minds podcast brought to you by the Mental Training Plan. Uh, Welcome to a new year in 2022. Today, we'll be talking with Brett Golliff. He is the Global Design Manager for Chevrolet. And today's episode, if you love it, please subscribe, share it with somebody you don't want to miss some of our future episodes. We always appreciate it when our listeners share us and tag us on social media at MentalTRPlan. Benny, we got a great one today. Let's get after it. Welcome to the Coaching Minds Podcast, helping you overcome obstacles so you can reach and achieve more. Here are your hosts, Ben and Zeke. Brett, we appreciate you uh, being with us on our show today. Rather than just reading off your laundry list of all of your accomplishments, um, if you wouldn't mind just starting off with a quick summary of your career, uh, how'd you get to where you are, what all are you doing? You know, We hear global design manager. Um, that's a big term. Um, simplify that down for us. What, what, is it, what is it you exactly do? How'd you get there? Yeah, so I am the global design manager for color material for Chevrolet. Uh, I think most of the part, if you were to look me up uh, or Google me, it's, it's going to come up under Corvette. Uh, I've been at General Motors for it'll be actually eleven years by the time your guys' podcast goes. Um, I went to I'm from a small town in Indiana called Angola. It's just kind of north of Fort Wayne. I had like a big love for art and design, and in particular footwear and athletes and sports. Um, and at the same time, I had this love and deep draw of automotive. And uh, going through the high school scenario and all of school, like I started taking private lessons, private art lessons at four, so very young age, and just kind of kept that going. So by the time I hit high school, I, w- I took like 25 high school art credits. It was like a ridiculous amount. And it was like, I knew I wanted to, I, seventh grade was actually when I knew what I was going to do. But seventh grade, I wanted to design footwear. And there's nothing like that in our area. There's not anything like that in too many places, as I've come to learn, to be honest. Rather, regardless if you're metropolitan or small rural, there's there's just not a lot of knowledge on it. I found my way to Detroit, College for Creative Studies. At that time, there was probably like four real like design schools in the in the United States that you would go to if you wanted to do something like I was pursuing. And that was the closest one. Uh, I didn't realize when I took it that it was kind of a, I didn't realize it was a prestigious school. I was just like, yeah, all right, well, it's two hours from where I'm from. Let's go do this. So help me get to where I need to go. And, uh, and I went down the path. So I then went to Boston. My wife and I, we, we went out there for nearly five years. I was at New Balance and the Advanced Product Group. Uh, I worked on, that was like my first real experience in in footwear. I did internships during college, many of them and, and had that stuff. So I guess professionally I've been like designing since 2005, roughly. Uh, I went to NB and that was amazing. And I had just different experiences and different feelings of, um, I guess slightly a, a bit of a, a reality check. Like I have this like deep passion and love and you realize not everybody has that steep, same deep passion, which was a positive thing. But at the time it was a hard thing for me. Uh, and then I knew like the size of it and where I wanted to go in my life and how I wanted to grow is I wanted to get more global experience. So it wasn't so much NB that made me leave. It was me that made me leave. And uh, at that time, you know, if you're, if you're from American uh, society, you know, General Motors went through a major uh, shift around 2008 during the financial crunch went bankrupt. They had uh, started looking for people that had different backgrounds in the creative field. And at the same time, while I was at New Balance, I had started blogging. And at that time, blogging was a pretty new thing. Didn't really, wasn't a lot to it. But like, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, I had that like deep love of uh, automotive and footwear design. I could never find like the level of literature that I could find on automotive design for footwear. So I was like, well, I'm going to start this. 
and I had a really good following for a long time. And oddly enough, uh, one of the people that is a design director in general merch had been following me. He reached out to me. He's a big footwear guy too. He was like, Hey, you should try us out. And I thought, all right, worst comes worst, take the interview. And I get to see some friends from college. I haven't seen for a while, you know, you have a good time and we go from there. And we took it at that same time. I was interviewing at Nike and, and Audi and a few other spots. I got offers from Nike, Audi and, and, and GM. And honestly, I chose GM just simply because it wasn't a part of the plan. It was never anything that I would have predicted. It wasn't something that I considered and it challenged me and made me think in a different way. So I thought like worst comes worst. We take this and see where it goes. Uh, and then we go back to footwear. If I work hard enough, I believe I could get back into footwear. So been there a decade, went from being, I kind of started on Corvette, like from day one. And the main thing that happened was there was I was lead designer. So being real creative, still drawing, still being a part of that process, uh, obviously with a big team of us. And then working into my first kind of leadership role was just leading solely our color materials for performance vehicles. So that was realistically Corvette, Camaro, and then Cadillac V-Series. And, and not to say that that doesn't have a lot of weight to it, but it's kind of three smaller volume programs in our company. So the focal point of that was uh, highly emotional product, but not a lot of volume to it and uh, meaning in sales. So then I immediately grew uh, a couple of years later and took over a smaller portion of Chevrolet uh, and still stayed with Corvette and everything. And now we've grown to where I'm at today, where I have the entire global portfolio of Chevrolet along with my team. I have a team of 10 in North America, dotted line that's roughly between six and eight, depending on what we're doing program-wise, that are in other regions from China and Korea, and then still working with teams out of Brazil as well. Uh, So yeah, I mean, it's just this major entity. And really what that means is making sure that our entire Chevrolet portfolio, because we're sold in almost every continent and every region here in the uh, United States for sure, but almost every every area in the globe, uh, making sure that that maintains kind of the art and life of, uh, of what is a commodity. I think it's a really important thing to make sure that people are getting more than just uh, a vehicle that's in a segment. So making sure that we bring this like big piece to them and that they understand that it's, that it is a major purchase, but it's more than just a purchase. It's a part of them and it's an extension to them. And so, you know, this is, you're, you're kind of our second guest in this little mini series where we're, we're really linking the, the performance piece in athletics to the real world or, you know, your job after sports are over. Um, you know, I, I, where I would really like to start is goal setting because there's a huge gap in time between when you told, other family members, Hey, I'm going to design shoes for Nike someday. Just like, you know, my four-year-old son might say, well, I want to be an astronaut someday. And looking at that piece of, you know, in, in my world, it's oftentimes the high school coach that's busting their butt to take the program to the next level. Maybe people don't really think that's realistic or the college athletes that want to play professionally or the professional athletes dealing with an injury or, you know, right on that cusp of, can this actually be my full-time job? Can this be a professional career? Um, you know, they have friends and family members telling them, well, that's, that's out of reach. You know, why are you pouring so much time into this? Or maybe, uh, I don't, I don't know if you really have what it takes or it's time to get a real job or the first question, I guess, Brett is, is that something that you ever had to deal with? And I guess the second question, how'd you handle it? I think to some extent I had to deal with it. I still deal with it today. I mean, every day of my life, I just 
some extent. But to give you the first answer, I can specifically remember it was seventh grade when I decided I want to do that. And, you know, seventh grade for me, that's 1997. Like internet is barely existent in the way it is, you know, yeah. just how we're connecting right now. Right. Um, and I can, I can totally remember. So, you know, if you're, if you went through the Indiana, uh, high school system, you went through a thing called core 40 at that time, where it was like, you have your 40 core college courses that are going to, or get you into college and stuff. And like, they would write on there, like, what do you want to be? And I would write shoe designer and nobody, like nobody took me seriously. And at that time in rural Indiana, like the guidance counselor, he was like, you, this was funny when you were in seventh grade writing this down, but this is freshman year. You got to put this together. You got to figure this out. Like, what does it mean? And I'm very, um, I'm very rebellious. And I'm, I mean, I'm to some extent, I might be a little bit disrespectful in some elements, but like when he did that, I was like, okay, cool. I see your challenge. I'm going to go ahead and research everything that I have. And at that time, um, Slam, the basketball magazine Slam, had just done uh, an entire Michael Jordan issue in the fall of 1997. Had an interview with Tinker Hatfield, and it had his sketches and stuff in there. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a name. So I was pretty quick to put together the tinker.hatfield and nike.com was his email address. Emailed him, emailed a few other people, did like a whole profile on him in my art class. And in my way, I put that on my guidance counselor's desk because I also gave them to give me a ballpark salary. And I was like, hey, not to be rude, but this dude's salary in my own math of this is probably about three times what yours is. So don't tell me that this isn't a career. And uh, uh, he kind of finally took me seriously after we had like a, a conference with my mom in the room and everything. And I uh, was told I needed to reapproach it in a different way. But that same approach doesn't really change now. That if I want something and I need it and I know it and I believe it and I feel it's the right path, I do everything I possibly can to understand how I can make it happen. I mean, a lot of what I do to some extent is kind of just reverse engineering. Like I knew I couldn't be Tinker, right? But I knew that I could be these other pieces being like, okay, he did that. Right. His path to get to that was this. All right. Well, here I'm. I'm 17. By the time I'm really putting this stuff together, what do I actually need to do? It's like, all right. Well, I got to go to art school. Okay. So I went to art school. I sought out every person that was in there that had any little connection to footwear, whether it was an internship or working with a recruiter that worked with the company. And I was like, all right. Well, what do they look for? So by the time of the end of my freshman year, the way we were set up at that time, like your junior year is really when you put your portfolio together to be noticed. Well, I started doing it freshman and just immediately started talking to it. At that time was Lisa Olivier. She was the recruiter at Nike and I was just making sure I was in front of her at all times. And then anytime they came in, I went out of my way. Anytime a footwear person came into the school, I was hitting up the, guy, uh, hitting up the counselors, the teachers that were going to be in contact with her, like, give me 30 minutes, like, give me this. And just picking the brain because a lot of this stuff, there is is no right way of doing it. It's a path that you have to figure out, right? You got to go on it and you have to be willing to take that journey. And honestly, it's the same to this day, even in the corporate culture, a lot of what I do in particular, there's no tangible thing, you know, on the light end of the side of things. Like if I'm a student, there's no saying that if you do 10,000 sketches that you're going to get a phenomenal job. Yeah. Just in the same way that if I'm in the corporate world, well, Hey, we just did 40 ideas for the interior. Well, you've got the best one. No, because it's all it's all an opinion. Art is nothing much more than an opinion. And it's like you have to do what's right versus all the parameters to make it into a functional design. So I don't know if that answers it, but hopefully a little Absolutely bit. Absolutely, it does. So within your uh, professional journey, what are some of the most difficult or challenging times uh, that you had to deal with? Was that 
mainly in college, or I know you talked about 2008, what happened with GM. Um, what were some of the most difficult times that you've had to go through within your journey? I think the most difficult times still come to myself. Um, I didn't realize this until recently of talking to one of our leaders within design, uh, who is an American. He's, he's Australian. And, um, and we were just talking about like our design culture at, at GM and, and how we work through things. And he, he kind of finally pointed out to me that I, I didn't fully realize, even with a lot of the traveling and stuff that I've done in my life. But the, one of the significant things that he feels that is significant American is the idea of the individual and, and what they do. And, and honestly, Ben, as you were describing the question to me, it really reminded me of that, that thought process of like, we really empower the individual. But at the same time, we don't necessarily show the individual how they can succeed at it. As you pointed out, high school coaches busting their butt outside of it, getting somebody to believe in a program that can go bigger. A lot of that is us as like in our American culture, understanding that like, hey, you can do this. Well, how do I do it? I have no idea. You figure it out. Yeah. Right. Um, and and like for me, if I have to give you some of the main challenges, just probably honestly myself, it's mind over matter and knowing when I should accept uh except I don't want to say failure because it's not, I, I have no problem with failure. I fail all the time, but it's, it's not that it's probably accepting when it's time to pivot and go another direction. If that makes sense. It's like how long you hold on to something and forcing something and realizing when the natural thing that's right there that you haven't been paying attention to. It's having that, having enough experience and understanding to know when you need to accept an outside thought to come in and, and change something. I like that. And the, you know, just listening to you talk, it's, it's amazing to me, the, the correlations between the world that you're in and the, the sports performance world. I mean, you know, to some degree, sports are a little bit more clear cut. There is a winner and there is a loser at the end of each game. But along the way, there's a whole bunch of creative process that has to go into it where, you know, like you said, there's, I mean, there's coaching books that you can read about great coaches and the teams that they kind of, you know, I would say artistically put together. Um, and, you know, instead of a, a pen and paper or a, a brush or something like that, you know, they're, they're sort of molding people together, uh, getting them to buy into this same vision, kind of point them off in that same direction. Um, and, and one of the, one of the things that's going to come along with that is we are going to be judged on our performance. And and I know that this is something that you deal with because your work is naturally judged. So I, I guess kind of the, the next question I have, how do you how do you learn from the the criticism or the mistakes or the or the failure or the as you described it, when it's time to pivot um, and, and still keep moving forward, believing in who you are and the skill set you have and the, and still maintaining that confidence? Well, I mean, there's a lot to that answer. I mean, the, the confidence, I mean, to some extent, a little bit is like fake it till you make it. Um, and and I, I mean that as a not as a, oh, I'm not a confident person. I am. But a little bit of it, when you put yourself, when you put that hand up and you put yourself in front of a room and you put yourself up to say, hey, I have an idea that's going to be different. 
you have to be willing to uh, put yourself out there and know what's going to come back to you. And if you can't handle that, like you could be that person that puts it up one time. You don't like the feedback. Cool. I'll never do it again in my life. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also just understanding when it comes from a genuine place. I think to some extent, uh, I can just speak for myself, but I do think it's relatable to many others. There's a high amount of ego that's involved in here. Uh, I, I know I have a major ego. I also know that I have a, a very strong personality that can be very defining and very um, uh, commanding. And, and really overtake something. And I think what I have to do is look eternally when I have stuff, read the room, understand what's going on. doesn't matter if I'm in a meeting, a corporate environment, or talking one-on-one even with my kid or my wife or a, a client from the footwear side. Like It's understanding, am I doing this for myself or am I doing it for the better of the project, the person, or what it is? And if I can confidently answer to myself that I'm doing it for the best that the situation can make it, then I should absolutely be standing up. I've always been like a firm believer of, of uh, listen first and then ask second. Um, and I think that, that that was a pivotal moment that actually like one of my mentors, Jason Maiden, like gave me. Because when you're young and you're hungry and you're super excited, you have a tendency to just want to answer right away. And what that does is like, yeah, cool, you answered it. But were you really listening to what you should have been answering? And are you stepping back and kind of taking that all in? And I think that still applies to almost everything that I go through on a daily basis. And it's kind of making sure I'm stepping back and listening to everything that's going around me. And that could be as super as concrete as am I answering this email properly? Or that can be as, uh, you know, organic as like, am I just paying attention to the signals that the world's putting out there and what's happening right now? You know, that gut instinct and feeling. So the, you know, the experiencing that first rejection sitting in the guidance counselor's office is one thing, you know, now my wife and I are watching a a football game and all of a sudden a commercial comes on TV and she's like, Oh, Hey, there's Brett. And it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, he sure is. Uh, or, you know, you've got NBA players that you're working with that you're designing their shoe. You know, you're, you're not just sitting in an office in a one-on-one situation. You're out there, not just for the country, for literally the entire world to now look at. And, you know, I was, I was hopping around looking at some of your online presence and came across a, a Facebook video that, you know, you guys had obviously put a whole bunch of time and effort and energy into, into the, the most recent Corvette. And you got people that are responding on there with like GM sucks. You got people that have spent their entire life, you know, working in the design industry. And then you've got some guy, you know, sitting over there, wherever, throw stuff up online and trash people. You know, in my world, I I would relate that to it's, it's difficult sometimes when the high schoolers go to college or the college athletes go to professional level. And now all of a sudden they've got fans that know who they are and they're screaming in their name and they're calling, they're calling them out or saying nasty things about their family. How how do you deal with those? I mean, there, there has to be some point where it does get difficult to brush all of it off to the side. And what do you do though? Those, maybe those few comments that do cut deep a little bit that are actually founded on something concrete. How do you kind of, how do you deal with that? I think to some extent, I mean, my first three answers might be a little bit cliche, but it is, it is to some extent like ignoring it, 
is one part. Uh, another part is uh, to say, excuse me, to say that it doesn't exist or doesn't bother me is a lie. It absolutely does. Uh, but I think it's also knowing we have a weird culture, especially the internet side of things. I can usually decipher in the way something's written and the way it's kind of put together if somebody has a genuine like feedback or thought, right? And uh, I will say on the core that I'm kind of lucky on that side of things that like if it's, there's a difference between the person that, you know, you, you generically said, but does happen all the time, like GM stinks. Why are you going electric or something like that? And then the other person that can actually critique a Corvette for six generations and like sure. say some stuff about it. That's a different form of dialogue. I will usually partake with the person that doesn't, uh, that, that can break down the, you know, the stuff and have an actual understanding because I can give them their understanding of where I'm at. Sometimes you're just not going to sell anybody over and that's okay. Um, I think a lot of that that answer realistically kind of comes back to your support system that's around you and knowing the people that you have and talking with them. There has been times much younger where I definitely didn't do that, you know, uh, listen first, ask second. And I did like respond and you kind of saw where it was like, yo, you probably didn't need to respond. You didn't need to be a part of that because all it did was bring you down and you're not going to solve that person's problem. Right. Uh, but a lot of it, I think, is being able uh, I think in the simplest term, sometimes too, is making sure that I don't put a tone to anything I read. Um, especially because, you know, most feedback to me does come at, at the highest form. And I don't get a phone call with it. Right. So at the highest form, it's usually email, right. Something forward from one of our leaders. And it's making sure that I step back and don't read it in an angry way. Like very young in my, my career, as I was trying to figure out where I was going to intern at, uh, I had like become pretty good acquaintances with the Jordan brand director. He asked me to like send him my work. And I was like, oh, well, we email all the time. So I just burned it on a CDR and just wrote Brett on it. Like I didn't put like a professional thing together and threw it out there. And I didn't hear from him for like two or three weeks. And like I reached out to him. I was like, hey, did you get it? And he gave me some very blunt feedback. And like I was 18 and like I, I had never had any of it. And like the, it's different for someone to say, I don't like your drawing. Okay, cool. Like I can take that because it's a drawing, right? That's nothing. And that's really somebody critiquing your line weight and I can practice and get better. But to critique something that you're not good at, right? And have that feedback come at something that you've never had before, it hurts. Like, because you don't know how to fix it and it puts you on this different journey. And I learned a lot from that because the way I took it was to essentially just start asking questions, keep that dialogue going and, and keep it going in another way. So to answer your question, because I kind of went all over the place, most of the way I do it is use it as an opportunity to create dialogue with the people that deserve dialogue. I like that. That's kind of the best way I see it. Brett, this has been fantastic, and, and I'm excited to get to this this next part. But unfortunately, we're out of time for today. Much to the chagrin of Coach Johnson, I know listening out there who wishes that each one of these episodes were an hour and a half. Uh, we are going to trim this one up. This is going to be part one. Hope you guys join us next week where we continue this conversation with Brett. We'll catch you next week. 